once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast, me friends. And Jesus, we went long getting back into it after the old Christmas break. It is Monday morning as I'm speaking to you. And if uh, you're a regular listener to this podcast, which in fairness you should be because it's fucking great, lads, right? But uh, you will be used to getting your podcast at 7 o'clock on a Monday morning. Didn't happen today, lads, because... Um, I worked more hours yesterday. I was up at 6 o'clock yesterday morning on the Sunday, right? So usually, if I don't get it done during the week, the previous week, I'll pop it together on a Sunday evening. But I worked from about 6 o'clock yesterday morning. Uh, as you, some of you will know, I work a lot with sport. I started working with the UFC, and then I was on the English football and that. And all of a sudden, it was like 9 o'clock, or a quarter past 9 last night, and 15 hours of the day was gone. I still didn't get everything done. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to have to go to bed now because uh, I can't be going making a podcast for the lads now. And uh, so I said, right, I'll wait until this morning. So now it's Monday morning and I'm refreshed and all that kind of thing. But I'm a little bit behind the times. But mea maxima culpa. I'm yabirum ushekt, as they say in Swedish. I'm very sorry for that, lads. But uh, yeah, so in future, I may not be bang on 7 o'clock on a Monday morning, especially not if we end up working this much on a Sunday. Uh, of course, you can change all that. If you want to make me a millionaire and support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm become a monthly contributor there and I'd much rather work for you than anybody else lads right I'd much rather work for you and be directly accountable to you with this podcast you can also switch a few bob to 123-2424-166 that's 123-2424-166 right we're not going to bait about the bush because this is another busy day today, lads. As I'm talking to you now, we're putting together the podcast and then there's more stuff to be written about, all sorts of things. And then this evening, Spuds and Sill, which is the English language drama group that we have here in Stockholm, which is uh, the theatrical wing of the Swedish Irish Society, if you will. Uh, they're getting together at six o'clock this evening on Saturday here in Stockholm because they're going to do some read-throughs and some auditions and that kind of thing. So I'm going to be popping over there with my little microphone to see what they're up to because in the last few years, we've talked about the productions and that kind of thing and we've done one or two interviews with them but I've always wanted to be out with them when they're doing their thing right when people are sitting and reading through scripts and Grace O'Malley is telling them what to do and that kind of thing so I'm going to try to make it over there this evening so a busy day is coming up but before we do that right again uh, the shout out for uh, for women to come on the podcast lads uh, hopefully as I say we'll have Grace and a few of the people from Sports and Sill later but it's always easy to find men to talk to me lads not so easy to find women right I want to tell your stories as well I want to have it as close to a 50-50 gender balance as possible no no always possible not everybody wants to talk to me i can hardly blame them for that but uh, yeah if you do have a story to tell do get in touch and it could be anything to do with your professional life or a sport you're involved in or or theater or drama or something you do in your spare time or whatever you know just get in touch and we'll have a chat about it and i'm terrible nice when you come on the podcast right i know often in social media people think i can be a terrible arsehole and that's fair enough but um if you do come on the podcast, I'll make you a nice cup of tea down here in the studio, or we'll sit on Zoom, we'll have a cup of tea, and we'll have a chat, and it's not going to be like, you know, prime time or that kind of thing, you're not going to get grilled, lads, we'll save that for the politicians and such like, you know, so do, don't be afraid to come on the podcast if you have something to say, and in particular, if you're a woman starting a business, or anybody starting a business, because I think there before Christmas, when we were at uh, the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden, who've generously donated to this podcast in the past there, you saw the value of these networks, not just from, uh, can you buy my stuff? point of view but from the sort of support that you can get right uh, it's always amazing to see especially when there's a new committee that comes in in one of the Gaelic football clubs right and certain things remain the same every year year in year out and it's the same thing for the business community is like, how do I get this done how do I employ somebody how do I register for tax how do I do you know where do I find this and an awful lot of us have been there before especially in you know in construction and in hospitality and in communications and that kind of thing so by reaching out to people 
and by coming on the podcast and talking about your business you'll create a network and you'll create an interest and people will get in touch with you and say oh i heard you on the podcast i need you to do this or i can help you do that you know so that's always worth keeping in mind as i say particularly for the female listeners to the podcast we want to bring you their stories as well right up today or this week or this month or this january on the podcast is none other than me good old pal alan joseph dalton you will have heard alan dalton on the podcast before talking about bird watching and um he has set up his own podcast, right? Now, I mean, I'm all for the competition, lads. I'm sure that you will enjoy Alan's podcast, Wild Bird Acoustics, uh, just as much as you enjoy this one, right? Bit of a different thing, because what Alan does is he makes recordings of bird song and he places them out around the place. Now, he's he sent some recordings of bird song to me that I'll drop in, or I might use one after the podcast. I actually don't have the time to sit down and, and like find the right bird to put with the right uh, thing that he's talking about at, at any given time, you know? But uh, he gave me some tremendous recordings of it, and it's a fascinating subject. And it goes hand in hand with so many other things, right? So he might be talking about birds and bird watching and that kind of thing. But he's also talking about nature and about taking time for ourselves and about going out and enjoying that nature in a sustainable way and what we have to do so that that nature will be there for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids as well. So he came by the office, uh, by the little studio here at St. Derek's Plan here in Stockholm. Uh, recently and we sat down and we had a lovely cup of tea and we had this chat that you're about to hear now so here you go this is alan dalton with his new podcast wild bird acoustics right look him up on facebook alan joseph dalton wild bird acoustics and uh, i might even throw the link to the podcast in the show notes if i remember but here he is the bell alan talking about the birds and everything else for the birds he is for the birds Super. D- delighted to have Alan Dalton back on the podcast and this time down in the studio, Al. That's it. Nice to be here. It's Thanks very much. Nice to be anywhere this time of the year, I suppose. Listen, we want to talk to you about your new podcast as well, right? Which is quite niche in terms of wildlife and birds and that kind of thing. We'll get to that in a second, but I don't know if we ever got to, to how you actually came to be in Sweden the last time we spoke, did we? I'm not sure. Um, it, was, it wasn't a very long story. I just ended up back in Ireland after losing a job in Cornwall in England. Yeah. And uh, it didn't really settle very well in Dublin. And then uh, Phil... Why, why was that? Had everything I don't changed? Know. Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of busy and then just... I don't know. Yeah. So Dublin City, you know yourself, it's a busy place, a lot of traffic, and I like to be out in the countryside a lot. Yeah. So uh, I was kind of... I was just thinking, I was pottering around, I got a job for about a year, and then Phil O'Keefe rang me from Stockholm. Did you know Phil? Like, did you go I did, yeah. Street? We yeah. grew up in the same street. Yeah. And uh, he was working in Dublin, of course, at the time. Mm. And he said he needed staff. So I said, I'll go over and have a look for about a year mm. and do a bit of bird watching maybe and yeah. s- see the lads. <laughs> <laughs> the lads being the birds now are filled. <laughs> yeah, a bit of both. But anyway, Curse got stuck in the job and enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, very much so, actually. And then um, I, I just enjoyed the countryside here and just enjoyed meeting people here in Sweden. There's a good expat community here, so yeah. it's D- great. Did you know Martin about Sweden coming over? Like, I mean, did you talk to Phil when he came home? Or it wasn't my first time in Sweden. Was it not? Home? I visited Sweden the first time, I think it was in 2000. Yeah. And stayed down around Vimmerby in the south and had a wonderful time. I spent the whole summer down there, actually. Did you? Yeah. I did, yeah. And but was that bird watching? Like uh, bird watching, fishing, and just chilling out. Yeah. And actually, Phil was down there with me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a brilliant summer down there. Like Hansel and Gretel wandered Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doing a bit of farm work and uh, stayed in this cabin down yeah. beside the lake for a large part of the summer and just had a great time just fishing and chilling out and having a few beers by a campfire. And it was brilliant. And then, of course, when he comes and says, look, I have a job for you in Stockholm, you're just like, yeah, I'll Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was funny the way the whole thing kind of flipped over. Yeah. Because at the time, I kind of dragged him over to, over to Sweden. <laughs> and then it was 
<laughs> he stayed Fast here. forward 10 years, he ended up staying actually from that point more or less straight onwards. Yeah. He went up to Stockholm, took a job in the Dubliner. Mm. And 10 years later, he's he's ringing me to come back to Stockholm. Yeah. So that's how it happened, basically. When you first started working in the Dubliner, that was down in the old building in Norman's Torrey, was it? It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the difference between that and when they moved up to Holland or Gotham? Because the Dubliner was, you know, for the last 20, 25 years or whatever or more, you know, Ronan Morgan, Phil, Mick, yourself, that was just a classic, Kevin, you know, that was just a classic Stockholm Irish pub. It was the Stockholm Irish pub. Yeah, it was a great place. I mean, pretty much the same staff in both venues, actually mm. but i don't know what it was about the old place it had a bit more it was a little bit darker yeah. dare i say a little bit more seedy and uh i was just good fun it was you had a downstairs section so if you wanted to get away from music and stuff you could you could go down and have a chat and mm. um, which we missed in the new premises because it was generally once you had a band on it was loud yeah so it was nice to be able to get away from the music and as well to work down there some some nights just have a change mm. the restaurant as well was a different section yeah. So it was a bit more varied work-wise. You could be working in the main bar, you could be downstairs in the horseshoe bar. Yeah. And of course, back back in those days, there was, you know, big, big crowds in the place. Yeah. Like music every night of the week. Seven nights a week. Used to yeah, the crack was 90s, you might say. Jesus. So it, was, it was hectic, but it was great fun. Yeah. I mean, back, back then, there was a sort of a generation of us who arrived over around that sort of three or four year yeah. period, you know, uh, when you arrived as well. And it was a bit mad, wasn't it? It was, it was hectic. <laughs> I mean, you were meeting people every week. You know, just arrived. Yeah. And uh, some of them you wouldn't realise that you'd be meeting people who you were going to know for the next 20 years. It's unbelievable, yeah. You know, it'd just be a chap standing at the bar, a lady standing at the bar. You'd be like, oh, how's it going? Oh, I just arrived off the off yeah. the plane. And oh. little did you know, like 20 years later, you could be best mates with these people. You'd be still hanging out with them. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. I remember or, meeting Farrell, meeting yourself there, meeting Jim Kelly from Longford there. And that, yeah. and all of a sudden, and you kind of, when I moved over at that time, you know, you were thinking, geez, you were hoping that you would know these people for, you know, a few years and help you settle in, you know. Yeah. Did you often get Larry's coming up to the bar and going, oh, you know, is there any chance of a job? Is there, like, did that yeah, happen? all the time. The whole time, yeah? It was it was regular. That was a constant thing. Uh, looking for places to stay, looking yeah. for jobs, you know, where I might get some work. Yeah. Any jobs going. Um, Sometimes you know something you might send them on or, you know, you, you might know somebody had, had a spare room. So you yeah. help people out as you could, you know. Yeah. It's gas so. because it became sort of like, you know, you have the London Irish Centre in London. Yeah. That was just the Dubliner in Stockholm or that kind yeah. of place. Like, just but that's a very common thing, I think, with Irish pubs around yeah. the world. Yeah. You know, that, that people will come into uh, kind of established Irish pubs looking mm. for kind of just directions or a heads up. Mm. And to meet people and just make contacts. Yeah. I think it's quite common. You mentioned when you came over here, you came over for that summer first in Vimbabwe and then you came over here and you thought about staying for a year. What was it that kept you here after that? Um, well, I settled in the Dubliner very, very quickly and I just enjoyed it. I, over, you know, when I had time off, which I had quite a bit of time off because it was very flexible as well, mm. which I liked about the job. So if you wanted like a Tuesday, Thursday and a Saturday off, you could get it. Yeah. And then at the weekends, I, I was fishing. Well, I say the weekends, it could be midweek, but yeah. I mean, fishing, bird washing, and the bird washing here is fantastic, and so yeah. is the fishing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, you know what Stockholm is like, you take the train for 20 minutes, and then you're out in the middle of nowhere, Yeah. and it's brilliant like that. It's like knackered, that's about it, in these kinds yeah, of places. Yeah, and at first, uh, out, I spent a lot of time out in Tirasa. Yeah. We were living in Honinga, that's quite a nice area. Yeah. At the time, it wasn't so built up. Yeah. Um. So, it was just fantastic. It was just a different world, really. Mm. And yeah. Do you, I mean, not to use a sort of a board watching pun, do you spread your wings outside of Stockholm very much still? I know you're, you're up in the north this week. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in Vasterbotten in the summer, yeah. and now I go up every year for a week or two in the autumn as well. Do you, yeah? Yeah, and I'm planning to spend a bit more time up north. That's kind of... Yeah. And hopefully I'll try and 
try and expand down south now as well and get more interested in going to places like um sort of Oland and maybe down towards Falstabo this year. Yeah. And just, you know, it's slightly different down there. Well, I imagine it is. When you yeah. imagine Oland now, which is an island between Finland and Sweden, so it's part of Finland, but it's Swedish-speaking. But there yeah. is, there's a remarkable landscape there. It's very flat. Yeah, everywhere is different in that kind of way. And yeah. you'll get different kind of bird life there as well. You get all a that going bit. on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just before we go on to the birds and the podcast that you've started now, which is absolutely fascinating, by the way, um, you left the pub business, right? Because I think we all sort of got too old for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was more an age thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, we aged out. I mean, I met my wife, Linda, probably quite not it was probably four years here yeah so but i mean i was still like almost i think 15 years in the pub after that <laughs> and uh, i seen so many lads coming in and you know meeting girls and the relationship starts to get serious and then it'd break up you know and because you're wandering in a four or five yeah you know it's it sounds i mean we were all young and stuff so it's, it was normal you didn't finish work till four o'clock in the morning mm. so if you finished on a saturday at four in the morning you sit down and have a few beers mm. And uh, it wasn't for everybody, you know. Yeah. It certainly wasn't for everybody's partner. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Probably went through a few of them doing that. Yeah, but Linda was very patient and she understood. Like, I enjoyed the job. She knew all the lads in the job as well. She, yeah. she liked them all. So. But B- back then, when I was playing music in the pubs back then, it was that thing of like, you know, you'd be there until late and then you'd have a couple of drinks and then you'd go to bed and then you could open and be still dark. Yeah, you know, like or in the summer it'd be bright. <laughs> that was Even the worse. other downside. Of kind of <laughs> Walking out there in the morning, go, God, I'm yeah, like, I mean, God's I, it was bright by three o'clock. I mean, you know, we, we'd quite often be walking home after a couple of beers at six o'clock in the morning yeah. and the sun beaming down, you know. And you'd be recording bird song as you Yeah, <laughs> as or you sometimes go I'd bring a fishing rod to work with me or, or Would my, you, yeah? my gear with me and go straight out after work. That's probably just the thing to do, all right, yeah. yeah. Um, we sp- the last time we spoke on the podcast, we spoke about your love of wildlife and, and bird watching and that kind of thing. And since then, you've launched your own podcast. I think it was actually New Year's Day that you published the, the first couple of episodes, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. I published the first two episodes, uh, sorry, episodes on the 1st of January. Yeah. Where, where did the idea come about? We you listened to the Irish and Sweden podcast, Alan, you went, I need in on I was that still, action. Yeah, that's exactly where it came from. Not to say that I don't listen to the podcast, it's great. But um, no, I've actually, basically I've been recording now since 2012. Mm. So obviously that's led to a large collection of audio. Yeah. And it gets to the point where you say to yourself, what am I actually going to do with all this audio? Yeah. And I do use one database, a public database for some of it, and... Then you start to worry about, you know, why am I putting all this out there kind of free of charge? Mm. Shouldn't I do something with it? And yeah. the idea came to me a couple of years ago about a podcast. Because, I mean, it's audio. it's it's It lends itself beautifully to the medium. Yeah. So I about 18 months ago, I just, I'd been thinking about it for a while. And then I thought, what I'll do is, for the, for the meantime, I'll just start putting like sound magazines together. Yeah. Like sort of 15 to 30 minute sections. Yeah. And I'll store them. And then I'll come back to this later. Mm. And um, that's that's how it began, really. Because mm. you put a few of those clips up on, on Facebook and on various social media, didn't you? Yeah, but one or two smaller kind of... In the beginning, I was just experimenting to see yeah. what was the best format and, you know, how long they should be, how long the audio should play for. Mm. You know, because I think it's quite nice to leave it on for two to three minutes sometimes if it's a nice recording. Yeah. And that would be an idea that I have that... If people want to just relax and listen to some nice relaxing audio mm. of birds singing in the wild, mm. I can just leave it on for two to three minutes at a stretch. Yeah. And you'll sort of introduce it and say, okay, this was recorded in this place. This is what I was exactly, looking for. Exactly, yeah. So film. I have regular kind of sound magazines, if you want to call them that. Yeah. So maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes long. 
and I talk people through each recording maybe I'll just sort of say like you say what species it is if it's just a dawn soundscape or you know a dawn chorus yeah. I'll just explain that I might say where it is you know if there's anything unusual about the recording yeah. if there's other species in the background yeah. I'll just let them know what they are and just so there's no confusion as to what the main species is yeah. I mean, the practicalities of how we do these things, like, you know, every week I hope to get somebody in front of the microphone you're sitting in front of now yeah. or on Zoom or something. And I do my interview and I put it out. When you record, right, you have a tendency to sort of put your mics out somewhere and sort of go home, you know, for a few hours. Or, or do you just sit there and wait for something to happen? A bit of both. There's a bit so of both. I, yeah. do, I record in, in the field all the time, but I, I pass it, like passive and active recording. Yeah. So a passive recording is when you would leave, say, a recorder in the field for up to, I, I do it sometimes for up to seven weeks. Wow. Um, I have two listening stations now in Sweden. One is in Vasterbotten, one is on Landsort, which is south of Nienesam. Mm. And they sit basically on roofs of buildings and they record for all of the hours of darkness and the first four hours of every day. Wow. That's a hell of a lot of material. It is. Well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's not such. But um, yeah, Linda will tell you I spend a lot of time. I try to do it when she's not there, when she's working. But it's a lot of time to computer. Yeah. But I mean, you don't listen to everything. So what you do is you, you take you take uh, the audio, so in an hour-long kind of chunks, mm. you put it into software called Audacity, and yeah. you just, you basically click through it. Yeah. And what you're looking for is spectrograms on the monitor. Yeah. So you get used to them quite quickly. It's like shorthand. And yeah. after a while, you'll actually identify species just by the look at them. Would you? Yeah. So yeah. these sort of waves that are painted on your computer screen, exactly. like they're rendered there, and you just you can look at that and you can go. That's at, this at this stage now. Yeah, I've I've had the listen station Lanzarote. This is the fourth year. Yeah, and the one I've asked about now, it's it'll be in its third year this year. So it's it's almost like a visual shorthand. Eventually, you get used to it so much that you can kind of go, "Oh, that's a red wing. That's a song thrush. Oh, I don't know that one. I wonder what that is." And then you click it and play on it. That's amazing, but it's also slightly worrying now. You know, how many hours? Yeah, you don't want to release the nerd too much, but it, it, there is. A, it, it's just when I first started doing this, you know, it was all—all all of that was new to me. I hadn't got a clue. Yeah. So you open up all these sonograms and you go, "Oh, everything is new," and you go, "Oh, what's that?" But if I mean down in Lanzar, for example, you can get up to five or six thousand red wing in one night. Well. Um, Does that, do they make a lot of noise then? At night, most birds when they're migrating, they call. Yeah. And basically what they're doing is they're contacting each other. Yeah. Especially if they're in flocks, they're ju- just to kind of say, yeah, we're still here, mm-hmm. you know. And they, they'll sort of say, right, I'm here, you're there. Exactly, so they're calling back and forth all the time. Yeah. So it's quite useful because you can count the calls mm-hmm. as well. You can just click them on a clicker as you're going through. Yeah. And it gives you really good information on how many birds are going over every autumn. Wow. At night. Have you seen, in those four years now, I would say that you're there south of Nunesan with your recording equipment, have you seen very big changes in the kinds of, of birds that are passing there and the times of the year they're doing it? Uh, not so much. There's there's small annual kind of fluctuation, which is probably normal. Yeah. And that can depend on weather as well. Mm. Certain weather is better for bird migration, and the weather changes every year slightly. Mm. So it not really in insofar as I haven't seen any crashes in population or anything like that in the last four years. Yeah. So that hasn't been a problem. And would they sort of wait then? Like, you know, if the birds are wearing migrating, are they waiting for a specific temperature? Are they waiting for a day when it's dry? You know, do they sort of know? Can they sort of smell the rain on the breeze? As they yeah, can? they're very, very clever birds. Are, it's almost instinctual with them. Mm. So they know now that they follow 
the magnetic fields. Yeah. They use the stars. Um, but they'll also wait for, say, a low-pressure system to come over, mm. and they'll use the tail end of it. So, so birds migrating from Finland will wait for a northeasterly, and then mm. they will cross over the Åland Islands yeah. and continue down the Swedish coast. Yeah. And they will wait for the right weather to do that. And generally, the peak period for a red wing, say, is the end of October, first few days of November. Yeah. So the first night you get suitable conditions, you will literally get four, five, six thousand birds just flood over in one night. Okay, so it's kind of like, okay, you know, when we line up all the days off around Christmas and you go, okay, that's the day everybody's going to be in the flight to Dublin. Exactly. And they just go, bang, exactly. that's, they're ready to go. You know, it's like just waiting for good weather and you're going to all this. Yeah. You're not going to go out when there's lashing rain. And, and off they go. It sounds like a stupid question. Do they ever make a mistake? Do they ever get caught out? Like Younger birds can. Can they, yeah? Quite often, yeah. And usually when a rare bird turns up, um, if it's a long way off course, say if it's something from America or Asia, quite often it's it's a first-year bird, a bird that's been born that spring. Yeah. And they are less experienced. And they just get, they don't know how to read the signals of the Yeah, stars, I think or? sometimes they just take the wrong kind of route or they get caught up in a storm, get blown off course. Mm. And after that, they're, they're, everything gets scrambled, you know? And kind of like men driving, they won't ask for directions. They just no, keep no. Going. They probably just go. Oh, I'll just keep going this way. <laughs> God, I'll, I'll get there eventually. I used to think these were fantastic seeds to see, but they're actually fucking dumb birds. Yeah, basically, <laughs> most rare, extremely rare birds are generally in big trouble. Yeah, you know uh, what would happen with them now? Because you take them out of an environment, a bird that's used to being in Asia or that's expecting to be in Asia or in Africa, that kind of thing. They wind up in the wrong place. Are they kind of toast then? Is it all? It over? depends, really. Um, the European ones are probably can probably reorientate. Yeah. Or they might survive. They might end up down in Spain or in the Canaries or somewhere like that. Yeah. And it's quite feasible they'll survive yeah. the winter and then they'll go back to where they're from. Probably. They'll find their way back there. Like yeah. yeah. And there's even some, some people even think now that, that some birds are hardwired the wrong way deliberately. Okay. A, t- a tiny percentage of the population on the off chance they survive and that that's how these new populations They'll start a new we'll colony get start, somewhere, yeah. If something works out accidentally, yeah. they'll go back, they'll breed, and maybe the offspring do the same thing. And if, if it's viable yeah. and it works, they'll keep doing it and the population will increase. Yeah. And possibly that's how you get new kind of uh, migration routes and that yeah. kind of stuff. What's the weirdest bird that you've ever come across in Sweden where you went, you really shouldn't be here? You're and there's been a few. Of. I mean, I'm, there was a yellow-brail bunting a few years ago in Norrjärvefeldt, quite close to Solna. Yeah. That was the first Swedish record. I think that was at the time that was definitely the rarest bird I'd seen in Sweden. And that turned up in the middle of winter at a at a bird table. <laughs> you know, just just rocked up to the door. Yeah, it should have been like I, I don't know, in uh, southern China at that point or further south. Oh and ends up in you know it should have been lovely and warm basically. <laughs> yeah. It was minus twelve, I think, when it was found. God So oh it man. wasn't a happy bird. It was around for a few weeks. Yeah. And would there be a huge rush then of people like yourself to see something as rare as that then? Yeah, well, I mean, that bird, for example, the next day, I think there was 250 people standing there. That's unbelievable. Well, it's not unbelievable. Well, it's just amazing to think that, you know, that yeah, many people would show Yeah, it can happen in people's back gardens quite often, especially birds that are found in the winter. There was yeah. a, a Siberian ruby trout last year down near uh, Vatern, mm. and whoever owned that garden had a shock the next morning when they woke up. <laughs> it's like it was hundreds of bird watchers People outside. stand there with, like, cameras and, you know, yeah. binoculars and lenses pointed at them <laughs> so, so this board has come halfway across the world right will they literally stick to a small area around that board table around where yeah. the source of food is so if so, you turn up there you, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to see yeah. it yeah so for example the ruby trout turned up not only did it tur- it turned up and was found at the board table at the start of the winter it stayed the entire winter survived yeah. and then it disappeared in the spring mm. but the amazing thing was the next winter it was found again the same bird not too far away at another board table so, so it, the bird had gone away 
presumably it's bred somewhere or tried to breed somewhere yeah. and then returned again to the same general area the next winter. I just got, okay, board table, board table, they look pretty yeah. similar. So they Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, that that was just, for example, that's just the board saying to itself, well, it worked before, it can work again. Yeah. So it goes back and it does the same thing again. I suppose, like you say, it's the hardwiring thing, right? If you were there and you got fed, well, look yeah. at, you know, I know exactly. it's going to be there kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, incredible. You mentioned the breeding there. Do birds have to breed every year, males and females? Yes, like, is that their do. reason to exist, basically? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. They're absolutely hard word to breed yeah so everything goes out the window in spring if they're migrants they get back and the first thing they concentrate on is they might feed up for a day or two yeah but they'll start singing straight away and the first thing they want to do is find somewhere to set up a territory basically attract the female if the males get back first yeah and um, they start singing get a female to come into the territory mate build a nest breed that's it it's like that's it and that's all they care about at that time of the year that's incredible. So they don't, there's no travel, there's no uh, looking forward to getting me back to my bird table and so on. That's just right, I need to find me a woman and no. off I go. Well, most small birds will only actually live for three to four years. Yeah. Like, so for example, like a blue tit is quite old, like five or six years is probably about the limit. Yeah. But a lot of these birds, robins only live for three years, generally three or, three or four years maximum. Yeah. So, I mean, in their second year, they've only got a couple of breeding seasons. Yeah. So they, they may have more than one brood as well. They probably have two or three broods. Yeah. Some species. Others will only have one. So it depends on the species. When you say two or three broods, would that be in the course of one mating yeah. season? Yeah. If so the weather is good and they can do it, they will. A lot of species will lay a second brood. Yeah. Um, and just maximize kind of their offspring, their production basically. Yeah. Just to replace themselves. So then at the end of that breeding season, right, do they just go, right, you're on your own, I'm off back to my bird table and so on now? In a lot of cases, yes. So most smaller birds, you would say warblers, flycatchers, robins, they, they don't. Once once the young has left the nest, they will feed it for a few days until it's self-sufficient, and that's it. So literally a few days and then you're, you're on your own. <laughs> and if you're a migrant, it doesn't matter, you, you will have to find your own way to South Africa in the winter. So all of this is hardwired in birds' brains. Yeah. You know, it's it's not something that they 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 don't take them down to South Africa and jolt them away. Yeah. So so come the autumn, say for example, blackbirds leave here in massive numbers. Yeah. They'll spend the winter in Ireland, England, Central Europe. Mm. They will just disappear. Most of them, eighty percent of the population, mm. will uh, head off, and it, they just know. Yeah. Somehow they they just start getting kind of, you know itchy in the feet or whatever or yeah. itchy in the wings whatever I don't know how you describe it <laughs> and then they're gone I mean they just they just migrate yeah and I'd say a lot of them do die the younger birds it's quite it can be very difficult is there any sort of you know obviously people like yourself you know if you've been listening to them for four years and that kind of thing there must be sort of research out there about you know say if take 100% of birds migrate how many make it to where they're going like you know because yeah. there's predators and there's, there's all a lot of, of mortality stuff. with you, especially with younger birds is there yeah, yeah. Um, so there's like you've mentioned, there's predators on migration. That's why a lot of birds migrate at night to avoid predators. Yeah. Um, some migrate during the day. Um, there's other causes as well, just lack of food. Bad weather is a very, very serious problem. Yeah. Um, if you get a, an autumn with bad weather, like just storms, a lot of rain, that'll make a big impact on birds. Um, yeah. I mean, things like the Sahara getting broader is, is possibly a problem now. Yeah. Um, deforestation. In the so, if you're talking about protecting birds, maybe maybe it can be quite difficult because mm. I mean, although a bird might breed in Sweden, it might winter in South Africa. Yeah, and if there's a problem in either of those places, it can manifest itself in the population, or if there's a problem on migration as well. Yeah, like stopovers, maybe birds getting hunted in France or Cyprus, or you know, the Sahara is bigger now, so they have to 
they have to get across that as well. Yeah. So all these things come into play. So yeah. tough time for birds, I think. When, when you look at that, right, and obviously you mentioned there when you're leaving Dublin, you want to be in nature, you want to be close to nature and that kind of thing. Does that automatically make you some sort of raving environmentalist? Do you go around the place sort of giving out about people who drop litter on the street and that kind of thing? Does it feed no, I don't. That? You no. don't? That's not no. your thing, no? No, I... I I understand some people get very, very upset about it, and they, they if you like, campaign for yeah. it. I just prefer to just keep an eye on things and you know do things like the podcast and mm. maybe publish a few photographs. Yeah, you know, and I think that raises its own awareness in a way. I think most people are aware there's there's problems with the environment. Yeah, um, and I I think I'm not sure. I, I don't want to get too far into, it, but I'm not terribly optimistic about you know the environmental problems that are going to come. I don't think, personally, I don't think it's going to be fantastic what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't. And I, I don't see that it's going to change very much. Yeah. You know. We talk about the canary in the coal mine, right? Because yeah. that's what they used to do. They used to bring canaries exactly, down yeah. there. And if there was leaks of gas or whatever, the canary would die first and hopefully the miners would get out. Like, you know, are birds like that, except for the rest of us in general, when it comes to the environment, do you think? Are they an indicator? Yeah, I think they're a very good indicator species. Yeah. And there's tons of data as well. Yeah. Um, there's been... Breeding bird sur- surveys now all over Europe for over 50 years. Mm. Um, there's been quite good data on migration kind of watch points. Mm. So the data is there, and in most cases, it's revealed large declines. In populations? Yeah, that? very large declines. So anywhere up to sort of average of 40 to 70% down in most species. Yeah. Very few have gone up. A is- handful, maybe. Can we say why that is? Is it because of climate change or because of what's happening? It's in the it's probably largely climate change. Also, a big a big factor is agriculture, changing practices in agriculture. Yeah. So bigger farms, less hedgerows, more pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things going on. It's not just climate change, but I'd say the biggest the biggest problem you have now is climate change. Yeah. Because the landscape is changing, especially especially now. I was in Spain last year, and you know you talk to people down there. I mean, it's bad for people, never mind the wildlife. Yeah. So, the, I mean, they had no rain for, I think, seven months at that stage in Malaga. Yeah. And you can see in the landscape, the trees are scorched, there's burns, mm-hmm. there has been forests everywhere, there's very little vegetation. And I would imagine a lot of those bird populations have been pushed further north yeah. into new habitats. Droughted or starved out of the place. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they will just move yeah. slightly. But at what point do they run out of habitat? Yeah. Because some species are more specialised than others, I yeah. suppose. And the other thing is that places like Malaga are becoming difficult for species to survive in. Not a great sign, really, is it? No, know? it's not good. And I don't know what... I think in the future, water is going to become the main issue. Just, yeah. you know, a drier, more arid Europe, southern Europe. Mm. And that will probably extend up into France and central Europe. Yeah. And that will push people north as well. I think that's what we've seen, really. If you go back to when we were young and growing up in Ireland and live aid and band aid and that kind of yeah. thing, it was like a drought that caused famine. And famine caused both migration and death yeah. and all these other yeah. things. And now it's just on a sort of a, a much broader scale, yeah. you know? And I think it will have to be dealt with in some, at some point. I think governments are... It's very easy for governments at the moment just to say, well, that's not my problem. That's happening down there. Yeah. You know, and, and also, oh, well, that won't happen for 20 years, and I, I'm really concentrating on the next election. Exactly. Kind of they only have a four-year period they have to worry about, and that's probably yeah. an inherent inherent part of the problem, I yeah. imagine, with politics. These rolling problems. four-year things, you know. But at some point, they're going to have to sit up and take notice, because I would imagine the southern European countries now are going to start going, 
hang on a minute, we're really suffering here. Yeah, we, we need, need to help, help on this. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the things I was looking at recently was there's been we talked a lot about forestry in Ireland uh, and indeed in Sweden as well, and you know partly partly the damage it does in places, yeah. but there's also this idea of non-native species, right? So yeah. you get trees planted just for the crack or yeah, to make it's, money. It's a monotype yeah. ecosystem. Can you explain a little bit about that? Because again, on the Christmas trees that most people would have thrown out in the last few weeks or whatever, that's one type, but it's not really sort of you know that's not what the Swedish forests were made of to begin with. No. I have a friend in Ireland, Sean Ronayne. Uh, he does a lot of recording there. Mm. And he recently did a project. He was trying to record all of the Irish breeding species. Okay. And he's been at that now for a couple of years. And he's been very successful. But uh, we, we talk about this a lot. He, he goes out to a lot of these places and they're devoid of wildlife. So for, for the non-trained eye, you could drive around the Irish countryside and think, oh, that's beautiful. So green, so beautiful. So beautiful. Oh, look at that. It's, it's lovely. And then, oh, look at the woods. And But in actual fact, most of the woods are sick of spruce, which yeah. is non-native. Um, so it doesn't support any native wildlife whatsoever. So um, no birds, no animals. There's a handful of species that can deal with it, things like goldcrests, yeah. uh, cold hit, sika deer, which isn't native in itself, do well in it, which mm. is a further problem. But essentially, you know, an oak tree can support, you know, hundreds of species. Yeah. Whereas one of these uh, spruce trees will record actually very, very little, a handful. So they're no good for the environment. And they change the ground as well. They, they mm. acidify the ground. Um, the, the root system isn't as good, so it doesn't hold the ground together. Mm. And of course, they get felled yeah. you know, every 10 to 15 years. They chop them down and start exactly. the ground. And yeah. then the ground is generally quite... So the second lot don't do as well. But it's just a policy of replacing, if you like, native woodland with this kind of... I suppose it's a product, really, of, yeah. you know, they just want something that they can harvest every sort of 10 to 12, 15 years. Yeah. You know. Is it, I mean, do we need to sort of just start designating forests like listed buildings or just go, look, at, we're going to have oak trees there and then we're not going to have anything else. We're not going to have Sitka spruce. We're not going to have whatever else. Yeah, I know now in Ireland there's, there's a big call now to rewild parts of Wicklow at the moment. Yeah. You know, because there's, problem, there's problems with erosion of the hills. Is you know, the, the place is getting washed away. Yeah. Um, and I know it has worked very well in Scotland. There's been several projects there. Mm. And it's incredible what can happen in just sort of 10 to 15 years. Yeah. The place just bursts. You don't have to do anything. You yeah. don't have to plant anything. You just have to leave it alone. That's the hardest thing to do as human beings, yeah. though, isn't it? We just keep wanting to fucking interfere in things. Yeah, but especially when it's privately owned. People want to, you know, understandably, they want to make money off their land. Yeah. They, they purchase the land. They want to make money off the land. And it's the same thing, you know, raised peat bogs have been cleared now and all the peat's gone. And But in Offaly, for example, some of the new Bordemona has flooded some of that land. Yeah. And last year, Common Crane returned to breed in Ireland for the first time. So, so something that simple. Yeah, you just let it flood and the, the reeds grow, everything comes back. I mean, the seeds kind of end up coming through birds yeah. who, who fly in. And before you know it, you have a, a pretty good environment within like four to five years. It happens very, very quickly. And that's the thing about birds and wildlife. If it's left alone completely, yeah. it's very, very capable of coming back very, very quickly. So, so there is, I mean, I'm delighted that you've given us a little bit of a light. No, there's a lot of hope there if, if things are left alone. But you probably need quite large areas to be left alone. Mm. But then I think you would have, if, if you left, say, a chunk of Wicklow, maybe 25 square miles, mm. and just left it three wilds, after about 15 to 20 years, I would say people would realize this is incredible. Mm. You'd have a lot of visitors going there to see wildlife. And in that way, it'd bring tourism back mm. to that kind of area. So I think it's a longer kind of time frame of sustainability mm. 
and it's a different kind of way of managing your land. Mm. But it's um, in the long run, I think it makes a lot more sense. It might be the way to go. Yeah, exactly. In the long run for your podcast, what's the podcast called? The podcast is called Wild Bird Acoustics. Wild Bird Acoustics. And is the plan to do it sort of in seasons, do six or eight episodes now and then more in the summer? Or how do you see yourself putting them out? For the moment, I had started the first couple. Obviously, I published the first two on New Year's Day, as you know. Mm. And so the first few episodes generally concern themselves with winter recording. Yeah. And I, I kind of figure I will kind of generally follow the seasons a little bit. Mm or get just ahead of them. So towards the end of winter, I'll start playing spring recordings. Yeah. Just to get people thinking about what's coming. Mm. And then in the summer, I will play like kind of more summer kind of seasonal stuff. But I think as it goes along, I'll probably get into other things. Like there, there will be interviews with other sound recorders. Yeah. And uh, naturalists from around Europe. Yeah. And some experts on bird song. And just a bit of general chat, because mm. I think people enjoy that as well. Mm. Um. Where else can people go in Sweden and in Ireland who might be listening to this if they're interested in getting into bird watching? Because every time I sit down with you to talk about this, I'm just I'm blown away by how much you know about birds and fish and the environment and all sorts of things. You know, so it can be daunting to get into. How what's the best way? Is it to to listen to your podcast and to talk to people like yourself, or how should people go about educating themselves? I mean, you can always get out into the countryside. Uh, it's good to go to established reserves. Yeah. Um, because generally, you know, you'll have walkways, uh, towers set up, especially here in Sweden. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of reserves in Ireland as well. Um, some of them are very well managed now. And the good thing about that is you may meet other people out. Yeah. And if you don't know an awful lot, you should actually probably, in Ireland, you have uh, Birdwatch Ireland. Yeah. Probably join them. And they organize, you know, educational meets and they'll bring you out birdwatching. They'll point things out to you, show them to you. And the same goes in Sweden here. Mm. Um. So you can find some organizations and go out and organize with meetings, which will be led by, you know, experienced board watchers mm. and things will be pointed out to you. Yeah. And, you know, basically slideshows and events as well. They do as well. Mm. So all kinds of educational stuff, mm. you know, and you can teach yourself quite a lot as well. Yeah. Get yourself a bird book. Just go out into the fields, have a look, get yourself a pair of binoculars and learn slowly that way. Mm. And I suppose the podcast as well is just a way of educating people as well. So they can listen to regular sounds mm-hmm. and learn them I mean you can open your window and just have a listen out and yeah. start that way and the, these aren't things like you're not putting out oh this is the rarest bird I've ever heard because they're never going to hear that or maybe you know, no. it might take them years to hear it so it's and fairly everyday things like yeah that. The, the vast majority of the recordings will be what I find on the average day out mm. so uh, a lot of common species mm. so I won't be concentrating on rare species because it's not really any good to anybody Yeah. so it's you know maybe a day in the woods do a piece and that I might do pieces of well they already have of you know a day in the field so where i'm actually recording in the field and commentating as i go along yeah on the day itself and it kind of gives people an idea of what it's like to get out with russia for a day yeah and record some some nature mm. where, where can people find the podcast um you can find it anywhere it's on apple podcasts spotify um, buzzsprout um so I, I think it's it's pretty easy podbean is another one yeah so all the regular kind of all the Outlets. good pod- podcast problems and even some of the bad ones. Well, you know, yourself, it's great. You can just get on the Buzz- Buzzsprout these days and they, they do all the work for yeah, you. Exactly, just yeah, exactly. Just click a few buttons. So it's out there now everywhere. So it's Wild Bird Acoustics and that's it. I on suppose. Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. Yeah, you'll get it on your phone, no problem if you have a look around. Fantastic. Just have a listen and get out, get, get yourself out there, get recording, get exactly, looking at exactly. yourself. Alan, it's been brilliant as always. Thanks so much for coming in. Not at all. Thank you for having me, Phil. It's been great.
There you go. That is a little snippet of the kind of sound you can expect to hear on the Wild Bird Acoustics podcast with Alan Dalton. That apparently was Red Wing Birds um, passing over where Alan had his microphones in October of 2023. And uh, in just before the interview there, as we led into the interview there, you had some roe deer, okay, the four-legged lads. And uh, you also had a tawny L there in the background. And as I said, it's just amazing to, to listen to the hours and hours and hours of stuff that Alan has out there. But he puts it all together in a very interesting and fascinating and pedagogical way. That is it for this week's lads. There's all sorts of things going on. I can't keep up with myself. I'm going to be Brian O'Connor later on in the week. He has a new album coming out. Sharon Buckley, now known as Sharon Larson, she now, I think herself and her husband Mickey, they put out a song over the weekend there. I'm going to have to try to dig that out as well. Uh, I saw that on Spotify, popped up on Facebook and all over the place there. So I'm going to have to talk to her and see what that's all about. Uh, as I say, Spuds and Seal are starting their production now for the spring, which is going to be going on in April and May there sometime. And of course, you know, as I mentioned, St. Bridges Day, and uh, we'll be getting into St. Patrick's Day, and no doubt we'll be looking for volunteers and all that for that. Actually, if you're above in Yavla, I meant to say it is as well. We've been doing parades in Stockholm and now in Malmö for the last good few years and god almighty if we don't have enough lads above in in, uh, in uh, Yavla there to be able to put together a bit of an L parade there on the Saturday, the Sunday, the weekend of St. Patrick's Day, that'd be a bit of gas altogether and what a way it would be to make a sort of an impression on the local people there, you know, because uh, it'd, be, it'd be unique if nothing else lads I can't imagine too many uh, small small regional towns in Sweden uh, the Yavla people go mad at me there now because it's not that bleeding small, but uh, you know you're getting that anyway, a small regional town because uh, one of the greatest things about St. Patrick's Day of course, is watching the RT News, the 6-1 News there, and seeing all these parades from around the country and that. And imagine, imagine if Yavlo was one of them boys. That'd be good crack altogether, wasn't it? Wouldn't it? Uh, get on to me. We may be able to make that happen. So if anybody up in Yavlo fancies uh, that job, work away. Patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm. If you want to become a monthly contributor, please do. And if, of course, you are one of those hugely successful businesses out there, like my good friend Martin at Veerstrom's Pub in Gamla Stan, who has been sponsored this podcast from the very start, and I'm very grateful, but there's always room for more, lads. So if you'd like to sponsor the podcast please do get in touch uh, for this week that is all we have time for my name is philip o'connor get in touch if you want to be on the podcast until next time my friends look after yourselves and look after one another and i'll be back again next week sometime on monday probably seven o'clock but i can't guarantee it but sometime next monday with another episode of the irish and sweden podcast good luck <laughs>